for the sake of those who are here as our guests this morning. We are happy and purposefully making our way through the Beatitudes of Christ. I'm so eager for us as a church body. I'm so eager for this myself because I, I need to be in the Beatitudes regularly. And uh, the Beatitudes are the start, as you know, of the Sermon on the Mount. The, this is uh, the description of the way life in the kingdom looks like. So what is the context for the Sermon on the Mount? The context for the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus teaching his disciples what kingdom life looks like. So these are people who have already given their hearts to Jesus Christ. They have they've bowed their knee to the Lord. They have claimed him as their king. And now he's teaching them what life within the kingdom actually looks like. It's, it's not just that we come to the Lord and we say, oh, you're my king, and then go and live our own way. No, if he truly is our king, then that means the way we live in his kingdom is going to look like what he would describe it to be. And so that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's a description of life within the kingdom. It is not something else. It is not a series of loopholes, moral loopholes, that you have to jump through in order to be accepted before God. Why do we know that to be true? Well, because he's, again, he's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those who have already trusted in their king for his righteousness. So this is Jesus describing what life in the kingdom is like. And by the way, as we begin, I want to remind us together that, that when Jesus is listing out what life in the kingdom is like, it's, it's not a burden to hear these. In other words, what Jesus isn't doing is he isn't taking bricks and loading them in your backpack. So, oh, you think you're, you think you're off that easy? No, here's another brick in your backpack and another brick. No, he's describing what true blessedness is. Now, I have to confess to you, I, I, in, my, in my office at the church, I, I, uh, I have a whiteboard. And for the past five weeks, I've just, I just keep writing um, all of the, the Beatitudes on that whiteboard. And I, I look at them all day long, not, not only them, but I look at them. And, and when I read the Beatitudes, I'm like, Lord, this is not describing me. This is, this is not describing me. I want this to describe me. But this is not describing me. Help me, Lord, to be more like you. And, and I, I remind ourselves this morning, us all, that, that Jesus here, when he calls us to the blessings uh, of, of this kind of kingdom living, which, which does call forth from us sacrifice, what he is asking you and me is to receive the grace. He wants to lighten your load, not add a brick to your knapsack. So I pray that God would help us to see these beatitudes in that light this morning. That he's not trying to weigh us down with a heavy burden. No, he's, he's actually declaring to us, even though they may not seem this way upon first reading, he's declaring to us the way in which life we've, we find life to be truly blessed. So with that as a backdrop, let's read. I'm going to read all of them again this morning. Matthew 5. Uh, if you haven't yet taken out your copy of God's Word, do that now, please. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. These are not the words of some man 
or woman, this is, this is the counsel of God that we're hearing now. It's perfect and it's true. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. This is the one for today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Dear Father, we pray that as we think about and meditate upon this word this morning, the words of your Son, Lord, we pray for help. Because when we read those Beatitudes, not every one of them strike us as the pathway to blessing. It, it actually sounds contrary to thought to rejoice when we're reviled, Lord. And yet, when we're reviled for your sake, you tell us that that is actually an indication of true blessing. And so, Lord, we need your help to understand these things. And uh, they are spiritually discerned. And so we need the Holy Spirit to come and help us discern them. So please help us now, Lord. Please cause our hearts and our minds to engage. We pray together in Christ's name. Amen. June 5th, 1965, the British, young British band, the Rolling Stones, released what would become their most famous song ever, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. I'm not going to sing it for you, and you're thankful for that. Lead singer Mick Jagger penned a song that would express a universal truth about our experience in the world, that in this world we will not find satisfaction. Though we try and try and try all kinds of means, we will never in this world on our own find satisfaction. We will look the whole world over only to find that we wind up disappointed again and again. And what Mick Jagger knew is that we all long for true and genuine satisfaction in this life. And that's why this song, part of why this song sold so well. We all long for meaning and purpose and lasting joy. And those deep desires within each and every one of our hearts were put there by God because He wants to be the satisfaction that we long for. Because He is the only one that will truly satisfy 
See, He made every person in this room. He made us in His image for His glory. We reflect Him to some degree or another. Even the most, what we would call the most wicked sinner still has the image of God imprinted upon them. They may not be walking in it. They may not realize it. But every person who's ever been created has been created in the image of God. And God has located within us a hunger and a thirst for true blessedness, for true purpose, for true meaning. Far earlier in history than Mick Jagger, St. Augustine captured the essence of our longing In this one brief sentence, this may be familiar to you, when he said, You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. See, Jesus knows something about us. When he gathers his disciples on that hill to teach them, he knows something about them. And he knows something about us. That that deep down burning hunger for ultimate meeting, for lasting joy, he wants to give that to us repeatedly. That we might be constantly satisfied In Him, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's how Augustine says it. Jesus says it this way. Verse 6. This is where we're focusing this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you see the promise of this verse. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. I, I appreciate how Jesus talks to us in, in, in ways that we can understand because every human person knows what it's like to be hungry and knows what it's like to be thirsty. I don't know what the menu on July 4th, if you're having a a gathering of some sort, but at my house, we're having burgers and all kinds of good things. Oh, great. Now you're hungry. Um, You know, July 4th is is a time that we can come together and, as as I said, reflect on God's kindness and goodness. But, But if I decided not to have any lunch on July 4th, by dinner time, you can be sure I'm hungry. But if I decided to go without dinner by the next day on the 5th, you can be sure that my hunger would grow. And, you know, hunger and thirst has this drive to it, doesn't it? Like we can go without food for a while, but the longer we stay away from it, the hungrier we get and the more desperate we become. If someone is truly hungry... Or if someone is truly thirsty, at some point, everything else doesn't matter. Like, you can have a bank account full of gold, but if you're hungry, if you're starving, you're going to do whatever it takes to satisfy that craving of your belly. 
You're going to do whatever it takes to get something in your mouth to satisfy your thirst. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are hungry for me. Blessed are those who are thirsting for me. Because when you're hungry for Christ, when you're thirsty for him, then at the same time that you're hungry and thirsty, it seems like a paradox. And it is a paradox. But at the very same time that you're hungering and thirsting for Christ and his righteousness, at the same time that that's true, you will also be satisfied. And this is why I believe we have this verse in Scripture this morning. I I believe the claim that Christ wants to lovingly place upon you is say, hey, if you're hungry and thirsty for me, you'll be satisfied. If we've allowed other things to crowd out our hunger, then we will continue to be looking for satisfaction in all kinds of places, never to be found in anyone or anywhere but the person of Jesus Christ. Now, let me clarify one thing as we get going here. What is the righteousness that Jesus is calling us to hunger for? The biblical term righteousness is a wonderful term. It it often in the New Testament refers to our right standing before God, another term to describe our justification before him. So if we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, then, then his righteousness, his perfection, is granted to us. We are made righteous by Christ. Our standing has gone from sinner to saint. God no longer sees the body of our sin that's been covered and washed clean by the blood of Christ. That's a term of righteousness that infers justification. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. Why, why do we know that? Again, he is talking to his disciples. It's not as if you can hunger and thirst for something that you could never obtain by hungering and thirsting. We could never make ourselves righteous by our hunger and thirst. It's just impossible. There is an infinite gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness, and that gap could never be bridged by your efforts or my efforts. We we can't merit the grace of God. We don't earn the grace of God. We can't work to deserve the grace of God. So the grace of God is simply a free gift. So he's not talking about, hey, here's the way to hunger and thirst to make yourself clean before God. No, we never could do that. He's not saying that. Instead, the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here is, is like a, a purity of heart. Those who hunger and thirst after the things that God loves. In other words, to, to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. And you say, well, God is love. How, how do, he doesn't hate anything. Yes, he does. He, he hates sin because it's an aberration and the opposite of what he created us for. And he has a, a holy hatred and a settled opposition against sin. And so when we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it means that we have a burning desire, not like some little hunger pang that, that flutters our belly, but, but we're, we're actually hungering for him. We desire him. 
We're going to throw everything aside in order to satisfy our appetite for him in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's it's hungering to walk in conformity to God's will. It's, it's a hunger to, to walk in purity. It's, it's saying to sin, like, I, I don't want anything to do with you anymore because all you do is lead me to disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. See, God is, is stirring in hearts a love for righteousness that comes from God alone because he wants to satisfy us with good things. You know, when we sin, when we yield ourselves to sin, it's like walking by a table filled with a beautiful spread. Um, and and this is, that would be a picture of, of who God is. And he just wants to satisfy and fill us. But we say, oh, we're hungry. So we, we walk right by this huge, beautiful, bountiful table, all that we could want or desire, everything that would fill us and enable us to be satisfied, we walk right by that table and we go to the junk food. And we say, you know, I'm just going to nibble on this. And it tastes good for a moment, for a moment. But then afterward, it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't last. There's no true joy in it. You know that of which I speak. And from time to time, we can all be guilty of doing that, right? Here's the Lord. He wants to satisfy us. We walk right by Him and we go to other things that promise pleasure. And when the man or the woman, the boy or girl who's hunger, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you know what happens? We're going we're gonna to say no to the junk food and dine at the table with the Lord. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in London in the 1950s. And he's written, I, I mentioned this a few weeks back, He's written an incredible book on the Sermon on the Mount and Beatitudes. And I, I just can't get enough of this man's teaching. And uh, I'm going to read for you this quote from him because he says it well. The man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the man who sees that sin and rebellion have separated him from the face of God and longs to get back into that old relationship, that original relationship of righteousness in the presence of God. Our first parents were made righteous in the presence of God. They dwelt and walked with him. That is the relationship that such a man desires. Think about the Garden of Eden with me for a moment. There are Adam and Eve. They're, they're made in perfection. They're made for the glory of God and given to one another. They, they've been given this bountiful supply of all these things that they could enjoy. And yet, what do they do? They go right by the table that God provides for them and like, no, I want this. You may have provided all of this, Lord, but I want that. And I'm going to go over there and get that. And they break his command and sin enters the world. And our relationship with God changes through that willful disobedience of the Lord. And what what Jesus is after here is if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're going to want the restoration of what that sin had undone. We're, we're going to want our fellowship with God restored. And not just restored by faith and justification, but then in an ongoing way, we're going to hunger and we're going to thirst for walking in righteousness. 
It's not some kind of pious, holier-than-thou kind of a thing. It's rather a decision that says sin has never been good to me once in my life. Sin has never brought me any lasting pleasure at all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn away from sin and I'm going to pursue Christ because I've found that He is the satisfaction to my soul. I'm going to pursue Him like someone who hasn't had a meal in a while and who's, who's eager to experience the grace of God. Because again, he's not saying this to put a brick in your backpack. He's saying this is the pathway to true blessedness. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you hunger and thirst to have relationship with your Lord, this is the means of true righteousness. Now, what it is that's the object of our pursuit is so important. Notice what he says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, listen to what he says, for righteousness. He doesn't say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for happiness. That's not what he says. Because satisfaction and happiness are the result of Seeking after righteousness. If we, if we get those reversed, it's all wrong. He doesn't say blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for their satisfaction. Because what would that be then? If we are hungering and thirsting for our own happiness, well then we're hungering and thirsting after our own selves, right? We'd be just pursuing our best life now. And then it wouldn't lead us anywhere. Rather, he's saying... Hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, after him himself. And then the result of that will lead to true blessedness, true, genuine, lasting happiness. In this sermon, Jesus says it this way in just a few verses later. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek it first. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So you want the blessed life? Okay, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek the blessed life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his righteousness. And as you do that, as you seek after your Lord, you know what? All these things will be added to you. You will be blessed. The Lord will enable you to enjoy a peace and a fulfillment that nothing else can experience. Jesus is establishing the order of our priorities. One more time with Lloyd-Jones. He says the world, see if this is true, see if you agree with this, the world is seeking for happiness. That is the meaning of its pleasure mania. Now, again, just to pause, this was written in like 1952. Pleasure mania in 1952 London, uh, I don't know what that looked like, but apparently people were on a, a pleasure hunt. Do you think and do I think that, that we've gone down in our hunt for pleasure? Or has, has pleasure, the hunt for pleasure in our culture, in our world, has it just, in my mind, it's risen exponentially? So if, if he's calling 1952 London pleasure mania, I don't know what he'd call us today in our culture, but, but let me start reading the quote again. The world is seeking for happiness. That's the meaning of its pleasure mania. That is the meaning of everything men and women do, not only in their work, but still more in their pleasures. 
They are trying to find happiness. They are making it their goal, their one objective. But they do not find it because whenever you put happiness before righteousness, you will be doomed to misery. That is the great message of the Bible from beginning to end. They alone are truly happy who are seeking to be righteous. Put happiness in the place of righteousness and you will never get it. I found, found that really helpful because we could talk about the world out there, but we could also talk about the world within the church, us believers. Like, we can substitute other things in our lives and in our hearts for the place that only God alone should have. And rather than enjoy the table of bounty in Christ himself, we'll go cruising by to the snack shelf and just eat on things that, that truly don't satisfy. And we're, we're starving ourselves at times, church, right? I know I do that. I starve myself by snacking on the junk and going right by the substance of what Christ has for us. See, hobbies and passions and sports and education and wealth, ungodly relationships, hidden sins. These, the only reason that you or I ever yield ourselves to things that are sinful, the only reason that we ever push out the Lord and put those things in the first place in our hearts is because we're believing a lie, right? We believe that those things are the pathway to real happiness. Yes, we want Christ. We're not going to deny that. But Christ with a lot of this, a lot of our passion, our true passion. And as we analyze and think about our lives, this is what Jesus says is true blessedness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not hunger and thirst for other stuff. Not hunger and thirst for happiness. Because if we go, that's doing it backwards. And we'll never get to that place of true joy if we're starving ourselves of Christ and living for our passions. Let me ask you, what do you daydream about? What do you think about when you're lying down at night, when you wake up and you have time to think? What, what, do, you, what do you daydream about? I daydream about all kinds of things, situations that I'd like to find myself in. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But what is the predominant overarching thing that captivates your heart. Jesus is saying to us all, blessed are those who wake up with a hunger. Not for a pork roll sandwich, though that's pretty good. But a hunger for righteousness. I confess to you, I, I don't... At times I don't have this hunger like I should. And I starve myself because I content myself with other things that will never satisfy. I'm not saying that, that hobbies or other things are inherently wrong. 
It's a matter of priority, isn't it? It's a matter of what, what, Lord, have you called me to do and you called me to be about? It's not about building the kingdom of Jeremy Bell. It's about building the kingdom of God. I got to tell you, I, I mentioned a commando during the break. I was wonderfully kicked in the tail with this message this week. And what I mean by that, let me explain. Um, you know, the conviction of the Lord. And that's what I need. I need the Lord sometimes to, in his loving way, whack me upside the head because I need to be put on the right path once again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for happiness, not for your best life now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll be like the deer who pants for water in the psalmist in 42. He says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. Is this true of us, church? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And I believe that many of you do. You have a longing for this. But isn't it true that if you've tasted the Lord, you want more? Isn't it true that if you've experienced his peace, you just, you want to be more with the Lord? And yet there's this conflicting reality in our hearts because we, we are far more influenced by the world than we think, are we not? And we can be pulled. We don't want to be like that deer looking for water. Think, of it, think about this. Think about the life of a deer. Can they go to the fridge and just get water whenever they want? No, they orient their life around water. They have to. Because if, if they're out and they're really thirsty and there's no water supply around, then they're up, uh, well, they're not in a creek because there's no water, but they're in a tough place, right? They're in a tough place. They orient their life around sources of water. Sometimes I don't orient my life around the source of true living water like I want to. I'm not walking in condemnation this morning. I'm simply saying I want to grow. I believe you want to grow in enjoying the source of life that God has given to us. As a deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for you. For the living God. J.N. Darby, the founder of the Plymouth Brethren Church, when he was thinking and musing on the story of the prodigal son, he said this. This is a quote. It's not going to be on the screen. He said, When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husks. But when he was starving, he returned to his father. See, when we come to the end of ourselves... And we realize that the stuff that we're feeding on just is no way, there's no way it's going to satisfy us. Then we finally turn to the Father. Because the Father's the only one who can satisfy through the Son. And that, I believe, is what Christ is calling to us. He's reminding us by grace this morning that if you want to be filled, if you want to be satisfied, then come to Him. Then run to Him. 
then hunger and, and thirst for him. And we'll talk about ways that we can kind of cultivate that in our hearts. But he's, he's holding himself out this morning as the satisfaction of your soul. And this is a cry to not be quick, to just zoom right by him in all of our busyness. You know, my great temptation, I will confess to you, my great temptation when I get up in the morning is to just get moving. I've, it seems like in my sleep I, I craft to-do lists so that when I wake up, my to-do list is right there. Most mornings I wake up with five things I need to do right now. I don't know if you're like me. Anyone here? Am I crazy? Okay, three people are crazy like me. I wake up with lists and my temptation, uh, honestly, is to zoom by the Word of God and just start getting stuff done. And when I do that, I'm starving myself of what God has intended, this water that He wants to give to me. I'm starving myself. When I yield to that temptation, he wants to supply. I looked, I looked up what does it mean to be satisfied. I looked it up in Webster. It says to supply to the full. To supply to the full. This morning, God doesn't want to give you, you know, 80% peace. He doesn't want to give you, you know, 95% blessedness. No, he, he wants to supply to the full. Do you believe that he's here to do that this morning? If you believe that, then you will allow that hunger in your heart with the cooperation of the Holy Spirit to grow inside that we might hunger and long and pant for the Lord because he is a God who satisfies Listen, I didn't know that Chris was going to read Psalm 107 this morning, but I wanted to project for you one verse in Psalm 107. It says this, For he satisfies the longing soul. What a great phrase. If you're longing for purpose, meaning, joy, blessedness, if you're longing for righteousness ultimately this morning, he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is what the Lord is doing. He's here with us this morning to satisfy your longing soul. The hungry soul he wants to fill. Listen to the invitation from the prophet Isaiah. Come. Are you thirsty this morning? Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. You may say, hey, I didn't come with anything in my pockets this morning. I have no money. Great. Just come. If you're thirsty this morning, come to Christ. Hunger for Him because He will satisfy. Come to Him. Experience His satisfaction. Let me, let me begin to make a few application points here. And then, then I want to read something for us that I, I hope will 
will invite us all the more into the presence of the Lord. So, hungering and thirsting, here's a few points of application. And, and I just, I offer these, they're very simple, but they, they just are from, they just lead from Scripture. So, um, test yourself on these things. See how you're doing. Just kind of ask you, the Lord, hey, how, how am I doing in this? So, number one, read Scripture. Like, those who are hungering and thirsting for the Lord, they will be reading Scripture daily. It, it's just, if if the deer doesn't just run by and go for days and days and days without the living, you know, that water that brings life. No, they're, they're there at the source. So read scripture. Why? Because we recognize that God's word is, it's life-giving words. It's how we know the Lord. It's how we experience his grace in our lives through the living, active, breathing word of the Lord. I was reading one commentator, uh, D.A. Carson, he says this, of, of someone who is hungering and thirsting for the Lord. He says, his delight is in the word of God, for where else is God's will to which he hungers to be conformed so clearly set forth? He wants to be righteous, not simply because he fears God, but because righteousness has become for him the most eminently desirable thing in the world. Let that soak in for a minute. Is righteousness this morning? And again, the, these questions are not to condemn, but to stir us. Is righteousness the thing that you most eminently desire in the world? Is it? If you're like me, you would say, oh man, there are moments, there are moments when I really want that, but a lot of the time, no. And so let's say together, Lord, help us to have a heart after righteousness. Help us to have a heart that longs to be filled by you. Help us to have a heart that says, I'm going to yield myself to you today, Lord. I'm going to listen to what you call blessed. And I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that's the first thing. The the person who hungers and thirsts for the Lord will read scripture. Number two, we will experience communion and prayer. And, and not just some, like, thank you for this food, amen, kind of prayer, but, but pouring out our hearts to the Lord. Pouring out our hearts and, and enjoying communion where we listen to the Lord and, and we respond and we kind of give and take and where, where we just have communion with the Lord. We, we, we dine with the Lord. We, we have fellowship with Him. And prayer becomes just like, like what we have to do in order to get through a day. Lord, I need you. How many times in the day? Lord, I need you. Help me to know what to say. I need your wisdom. Uh, let, me, let me appeal to the parents in the room. I know that if you're believers, you are praying parents because your kids come to you and they ask you things. You're like, for the life of me, I don't know how to respond to this. Right? Parents, we need the Lord. When we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're going to be praying th- three and finally. Um, if we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we're going to avoid that which dulls the sharp edges of our hunger. So let me go back to that illustration of the table of Christ, all the bounty, the solid food of Christ. Right here, we cruise by it for the snacks. You know when your mom is working hard on a meal, I still remember this growing up in Brooklyn, Connecticut, I would want a snack at 3.45 or 4.45. My mom's like, don't 
I, I don't eat that because then you're not going to want supper. And I would shove a few cookies in my mouth and come to the table and there I would have a little, little dop of this and a little dop of that and barely nothing. And then an hour later, I was like, what's to eat around this place? Right? We, we know the principle of dulling our hunger by snacking. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're not going to dull our hunger by, by all those things we mentioned earlier, by going really deep into hobbies that, are, that kind of take the place of our first passion, by going deep into things that maybe perhaps inherently are not wrong, but given the place that they have in our hearts, now they are wrong. Because we're hungering and thirsting more after that than we're hungering and thirsting for the righteous life that God calls us to. Those things can occupy our hearts to such a degree that they dull our passion for Christ. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst not for hobbies, not for sports, not for wealth, not for any of that stuff. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want to be satisfied this morning. I believe you do too. And the Lord is issuing to us an invitation. And so I, I, I want to invite the band to come back on the stage. And I, I mentioned I wanted to read something to you because I think it's, it's helpful to be reminded of who the Lord is. And, and you know, when we talk about filling our hearts with Christ, uh, how do we do that? We do that by reminding ourselves of who He is and what His nature is like. We do that by reminding ourselves of what He's accomplished and what He's capable of. We do that by, by reminding ourselves that Christ is the fountain of all life. That we don't come to Christ just to have bricks put in our backpack, but because he wants to give us true life. He wants to lighten the load. He wants to give us peace and joy. And so now at the close, I just want to read to you. This was written um, by Anne Graham Lotz. Uh, you may have heard this before. It's just a reflection on the person of Jesus Christ. So I've, I've selected parts of what she's written, and I just want to read it to you. If it helps you to hold, put your eyes closed or don't look at me, just do it. But, but just here, when we turn to Christ, this is the Lord that we're turning to. This is entitled, Just Give Me Jesus. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizons of the globe. He is God's Son. He is the sinner's Savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of Himself. He is august and He is unique. He is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is undisputed and undefined. He is unsurpassed and unshakable. He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the cornerstone, the capstone, and the stumbling stone of all religion. He's the miracle of all ages. Just give me Jesus. 
No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He forgives and he forgets. He creates and he cleanses. He restores and he rebuilds. He heals and he helps. He reconciles and he redeems. He comforts and he carries. He lives and he loves. He is the God of the second chance, the fat chance, the slim chance, the no chance. Just give me Jesus. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. He is the key to knowledge. He is the fountain of life. He is the wellspring of joy. He is the storehouse of wisdom. He is the foundation of faith. He is the doorway of deliverance. He is the pathway to peace. He is the roadway of righteousness. He is the gateway to glory. He is the highway to happiness. Just give me Jesus. He supplies strength to the weary. He increases power to the faint. He offers escape to the tempted. He sympathizes with the hurting. He saves the hopeless. He shields the helpless. He sustains the homeless. He gives purpose to the aimless. He gives reason to our meaninglessness. He gives fulfillment to our emptiness. He gives light in the darkness, comfort in the loneliness, fruit in the barrenness, future to the hopeless, life to the lifeless. Just give me Jesus. He guards the young. He seeks the stray. He finds the lost. He guides the faithful. He rights the wrongs. He defends the weak. He comforts the oppressed. He welcomes the prodigal. He heals the sick. He cleanses the dirty. He beautifies the meek. He restores the failure. He mends the broken. He blesses the poor. He fills the empty. He clothes the the naked. He satisfies the hunger. He elevates the humble. He forgives the sinner and he raises the dead. Just give me Jesus. His office is manifold and his promise is assured. His life is matchless and his goodness is limitless. His mercy is enough and his grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. He is indestructible. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is inescapable. He is irresistible. And he is irrefutable. I can't live without him. And I can't outlive him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. The family couldn't stop him. Satan tried to tempt him, but found he couldn't trip him. Pilate examined him, but found no fault in him. The Romans crucified him, but couldn't take his life. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. He had no predecessor and would have no successor. He is the lion, and he is the lamb. He is the God, and he is man. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Just give me Jesus. Lord, as we hear this description 
of your son. What in the world could hold us back from running to him right now and declaring him to be our Lord? This one who meets us and sacrificed himself on that cross that we might have satisfaction and joy in him, not just now, but for all eternity. And so, Lord, even now, we run to you, Lord. And we agree with this word that says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because of that promise. For they will be satisfied. Christ in you is all of our satisfaction. Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we cruise right by you and we go to the snack table and we eat things that may taste good for just a mere moment but never satisfy. So now, Lord, we, we put those things away and we run to you, King of kings and Lord of lords the one who came for us. Lord, tomorrow morning when we rise, truly, would you give us Jesus?